Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from deep beneath an old Woolworths. It's Tavern Voices. I'm your host, Kevin King. And with me, as always, is our other host and my Ilhan Omar fan club partner, Tyler Crawley. Man, how goes it? That's, that's a lot. There's a lot in that one. Woolworth, Ilhan Omar. Oh, man. <laughs> We're coming out guns a blazing today. So just want to. There's no to, reason to hold back. That's true. That is very true. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Ilhan Omar because. At the start of this week, if you would have asked me who was the dumbest freshman member of Congress, I would have said AOC. But Omar is, is making a run at the title. I mean, it's you know we got some, we got some ways to go, and she's she's making a run for it. So I, I think it's it's a race right now. Um, I think you're neck and neck, uh, AOC and, and Omar. But I'll tell you, AOC might have taken the lead today because something that she was championing for. That was Amazon after they announced their headquarters, uh, their headquarter, their HQ2 was going to be in two places. And one of the places was New York City. She was not happy about that and protested against it and made all of these arguments and protests and everything else. And she has succeeded. And I don't know if it was entire. I doubt it was entirely because of her. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but a lot of people like her weren't happy, even though polling has shown that African-Americans and Latinos absolutely wanted these jobs to come there. She fought against them and succeeded at that and hasn't really said much on the issue. And then earlier, or I should say last week, she announced her Green New Deal. And then this week, Mitch McConnell uh, said, hey, you know what? We're going to vote on it. And she got upset. And so what's really weird, Kevin, is that AOC seems to be winning where she's succeeding in getting Amazon to leave and she succeeded at getting now that they're going to be a vote on the Green New Deal. But actually, when these things are materializing, it doesn't seem like she actually wants them to happen. I guess this is sort of like they always argue what happens when the dog finally catches the car. It seems like this is her second car that she's caught and wasn't ready for it. Oh, she hit the bumper full speed on that one. Um, you keep comparing her. I've noticed this to uh, to Trump how much alike they are. Yeah. And I think that's what you see. You've got what happens when the the rhetoric meets reality and it's a rude awakening. And the reality of it is, is that it, it's kind of the same thing, this nationalism or socialism or any of these real um, sort of, I guess, um, kind of isolated, real uh, strong philosophies and ideologies. They don't really work well in practical application. I mean, obviously, that's why we've seen every attempt at socialism fail miserably is because the theory sounds great. The reality is just that it can't work. Um, so I think that's what she's seeing now is that socialism sounds great, but it's like they always say, you have to go 100% socialism. That journey there is what ends up with with people in poverty and, and dying in the streets and she's not prepared to say, okay, let's put all these people out of work to stand on principle against the the capitalist giant of Amazon. What's really funny is so you know, she she was actively campaigning against this thing, which to me lines up perfectly with trust fund, you know, trust fund white kids who live in Queens because it's cool and hip. Uh, and they're the ones that protest the job. It's like kids that, you know, it's like rich kids that protest Walmart. Like, yeah, they don't care that, you know, as I remember, I think it was, uh, it was a Greg Fitzsimmons or it was one comedian who, or Todd Berry. And they're like, they were protesting Walmart. They didn't even know what, what they were protesting. They're like, 
get rid of your low prices and big selection. We don't want that here in New York. And they were saying like, instead of buying a t-shirt from Walmart, they go to a vintage t-shirt store that sells old Walmart t-shirts for a hundred dollars. And it seems like that's the constituency that she's speaking to. Uh, and it's the same thing uh, with a lot, you know, the green new deal is another great example. I mean, it's a, it's absolute jobs killer, but it appeals to that, that base. So despite the fact that she always claims to be, you know, she's fighting for women, she's fighting for minorities. It really looks like she's fighting for rich white trust fund babies who live in New York. Those are the people that she's fighting for and getting victories from not people she argues are like her actual self. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I don't know if you saw the recent Bernie Sanders tweet going after Walmart. You mentioned Walmart made me think about it. And he said that, you know, the Walton family makes more in a day than the average Walmart employee makes in a year. And they completely ignore all of the good things that have how many lower income people are able to buy amazing products, food, uh, you know, clothing, things that they need to survive. They've been able to get mass access to incredible, uh, incredibly affordable products because of Walmart. And I remember uh, several years ago, I was listening to your show, which um, I don't know why I was doing that, but <laughs> you were talking about Starbucks and how all the left was beating up on the Starbucks CEO and how much they made. It was probably Howard Schultz um, at the time. And you said, but let's break this down and how many thousands of people are able to provide for their families because of him running this company, right? Like why, yeah. why would you tear all of that down? Like who, who's going to create a Starbucks to employ that many people? Who's going to create a Walmart to do all that if there isn't what, – what comes with that? I mean I don't understand why you have to tear down one successful person who has helped thousands of other people become successful – you just want to destroy all of that in, in, in its core and then just have this, uh, you know, uh, what are they, they like the living wage in the Green New Deal for people who don't want to work? Well, what's also interesting about this whole you know capitalism argument and especially our society is people will say, well, Walmart doesn't pay a living wage and the people that work at Walmart need to get food stamps and they need to get. Uh, Medicaid and take advantage of all these, you know, social programs and everyone blames, you know, Walmart. But the reality is, and, and, th and this is actually a debate that's, you know, had among economists, is it sort of the chicken or the egg? Like if the safety programs didn't exist, would these people take these, these jobs at this, at, the, at this low level of pay? Um, or, you know, w w if these programs didn't exist, Walmart would then have to bump the wages up. And so because these social programs exist, Walmart doesn't have to pay more money because the people can supplement and therefore still work the job. But then when you look at it that way, who's paying for the social programs? Walmart. <laughs> Walmart's huge tax bill. And the you know, investors and everybody else that's in, you know, invest in Walmart, they pay for it. So it, it's it, at the end of the day, it, it, it's all the same. I mean, so whether we make Walmart directly pay for it or Walmart pays for it indirectly through the taxation that they're facing and their investors are facing, uh, it's all the same. It, and so the question is, you know, should we get rid of the social programs? Uh, would that force Walmart to pay more wages? Do we, you know, increase in demand a higher wage and then get rid of the social programs? But the reality is, is that they both sort of complement each other in a way that it's hard to figure out what is causing it. But the reality is, like I said, even if you fixed all of it, it would still be the same. You'd still be, have the rich people paying for, you know, those people that are working for them, whether it's direct or indirect, that's all that changes. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you talk about this moving around of money and who is ultimately paying for things, because I think we have a 
fantastic example right in front of our eyes of what these tax the rich, tear down successful people policies actually do when they're implemented. And right now it's looking really, really bad for the state of New York as they face a $2.3 billion shortfall on their anticipated tax revenue for this year. Governor Andrew Cuomo took to the airways to blame pretty much everybody, including Trump and even the great state of Florida for the current problems in the state of North, uh, not North Carolina, but New York. We have a great budget surplus here, actually. It's amazing how that works. Anyway, the only person that Cuomo wasn't blaming was himself. Yet recently, he said that taxing the rich was the least they could do, and he didn't care if they left or not. Well, now they have left. Tyler, who is going to pick up the tab as rich people keep fleeing places like New York and California? I guess the rich people that are left, that uh, <laughs> someone needs to fill those gigantic buildings in New York City and someone needs to own them. So I guess they have to live there uh, until finally it gets to the point where they're going to have to 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 leave. But, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's amazing. And this is a big, big problem for New York because, I mean, if you actually look at the books of some of these places like New York and New Jersey and California that have a lot of really, really wealthy people – is there's a lot of funky accounting going on with some of these books. They're unfunded liabilities with their pensions and everything else that are not being funded. When all of a sudden their liabilities are outpacing um, you know, the, their actual assets, they're going to have some issues because they have to start raising taxes. And so the people, the p- people are leaving before they reach the fiscal crisis that is inevitably going to happen. And so that's what's so terrifying about this. And I think, and, and, you know, the, the fact that they're sort of not realizing this or understanding this is very terrifying. If you're a resident of these States, because like I said, people are fleeing before the fiscal crisis. Imagine what's going to happen when the fiscal crisis hits and their pension plans go under and all of a sudden they're going to have to raise taxes on everyone to meet their uh, sort of, you know, the, the basic minimum. And so not only are the pensionees um, or the, the people receiving the pensions uh, going to take a hit, but everyone in the state's going to take a hit because they're going to have to find a way to pay for it. And it's going to be a disaster. And that hasn't even happened yet. So, I mean, this is bad because this is all happening before the fiscal problem. Yeah. Wasn't it Margaret Thatcher who said the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other people's money? And that's what these states are going to incur. In fact, the stat on this is that from July 1st of 2017 to July 1st of 2018, according to the Census Bureau, which they're, you know, they're back uh, at work now since the government shutdown, (laughs) that New York was one of only nine states that suffered a population loss and they lost 50,000 people a net loss of 50,000 people in that year, one of only nine states. The other 41 states saw population growth. So what are you having to do to push people out of your state like that? Clearly, there is a major problem. And like I said, New York – I'm sorry, keep getting it backwards. North Carolina is in great fiscal shape, and we're seeing huge population growth. Uh, Charlotte and and the Mecklenburg area and Raleigh and the Triangle, Wake County, they are going gangbusters right now with people moving into a low-tax pro- business friendly environment what are we are we ninth now or are we still 10th most populous populated state i think we're nine or ten somewhere around we're there. getting up there uh, yeah because we're going to gain a congressional seat yeah yeah unfortunately it's going to be like in wake or mecklenburg so <laughs> we're not going to get the seat the other party is going to end up getting the seat but what's 
you know, kind of also interesting about this is the immigration debate, because it's funny that, you know, liberals from New York and San Francisco or I should say California are the ones arguing for more and more immigrants. Yeah, because they need the people <laughs> like their states are actually losing people. And so that's why they're advocating, because, you know, they, they're having a problem. They're having they're, they're running a, a, a population deficit. And so that's, I think, one of the reasons why you see them advocating, because the reality is a lot of these states, especially California, the only population growth that you're seeing is among the immigrant community. It's people because they, you know, they come to America, they don't really know any better. And they go to California thinking like, oh, man, this is California. We've heard so much about it. And then after they're they're probably there for a while, they're like, all right, we're going to peace out. This is horrible. These taxes are ridiculous. But that's the only reason that they're seeing any growth. Otherwise, I don't think you'd be seeing any, uh, you know, native born people are moving to California and not not at the rate that immigrants are. And so that's why I think these places are so pro immigrant as well. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to point out from this article and this uh, the actual article and we'll post the link is from the Daily Wire, but they're actually quoting a Bloomberg story on this. So this is now three layers deep of information. (laughs) But uh, the quote here is it says, like other high tech states, New York's Department of Taxation and Finance will go to great lengths to keep wealthy residents on their tax list. The state's methods can be aggressive, issuing subpoenas to pour through credit card statements bank transactions, or phone records to track a taxpayer's location and sending auditors to interview doormen or confirm doctor's appointments. How creepy is that? (laughs) Uh, You can run, but you cannot hide from your taxes, rich people. They will come and take you away. Well, remember, that's why uh, Rush Limbaugh, remember, he used to have a place in New York and he sold it because – Every year he would get audited. They, they were trying to argue that he was in New York because he'd be in New York like once a month and they would argue he was there for longer because every day he's there, they get a piece of his his, uh, you know, ginormous uh, you know salary. And so, you know, he, they'd be like, no, you're there there. And so finally, he's like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm not even going to go there anymore. And so he just sold his place and left. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's, they, you know, they, it's. It's a law of diminishing returns is essentially what's happening is they think it's like, oh, this will be great. And it's true. The first year, it's great. But you creep everyone out and tick everyone off that they then leave. And now all of a sudden you're seeing less money come in because you're such a creep creep um, with regards to uh, how they're collecting taxes. But speaking of. Well, hold, hold on. Sure. I want to cut you off real quick. One last thought. The thing I want to really make people aware of, though, and, and I just can't wrap my head around this. And this goes to your point of how we will not get that congressional seat is that all of these people are moving in to these urban areas and they are supporting the same party that ran them out of their former state. I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I think well, it's because they don't make the correlation. Yeah. You know, they don't, they think like, Oh man, taxes are high here. And they, you know, people never do this. They never, they never make the correlation. And so they look at what's happening here and they go, Oh, well, you know, we get this. What they want is all of the benefits without any of the negatives. So they think like, oh, we can have public transit and we can have all this stuff without the cost. And it's just it doesn't make sense. And it's because people are, for the most part, kind of dumb and they don't understand that a lot of the things that they like about some of these you know, big cities is massive price tag. You got to pay for that. I mean, it's the same reason why Medicare for all could work if everyone's taxes went up. If we saw everybody increase their taxes by, you know, 50 percent. Yeah. We could have the money to pay for Medicare, but you can't sell that. You have to say, oh, no, the rich are going to pay for it. 
Uh, and so, yeah, if you want to live in New York City and pay a crazy amount and have public transportation and have all these other services that they offer, you can have it, but people don't, they don't want to pay for it. So then they come down here and go, okay, well, here's, a, here's what we'll do. We'll just do what they did up there. And you can for a couple of years because we've got a surplus and we have a pretty good economy. And so for a couple of years, we can do it without paying for it. But then eventually the price tag comes due. It's why uh, the, the mass transit system in D.C. and New York is always having problems. Eventually, you have to fund it properly. And then everyone goes, oh, forget that and leaves. So it's this fantasy of having everything you want, having your cake and eating it too. Is oh, yeah. the unfortunate thing. Uh, you are not wrong. You messed up my earlier uh, transition. So <laughs> I, I was going to say, speaking of traveling, uh, which I guess technically still works here, um, Harper Peterson, uh, state senator down here in southeastern North Carolina. I have a feeling people are going to know his name all across the state, not for good reasons. I apologize for him uh, Prematurely, I guess I should say. I'm, pre- I'm preempting my apology because it's it's he's going to be embarrassing. So he started. He ended last week, I should say, when the Green New Deal came out. He actually protested outside of Congressman David Rouser's office with other crazy environmentalists, demanding that David Rouser support the Green New Deal. I mean, he's actually elected officials saying that we need to add six trillion dollars to uh, our our uh, budget every year. Uh, but we'll get that. Well, that's. That's we'll get to that another time. He then ended this week by putting forward a bill in the state general assembly that would uh, bring back film incentives. And here's the problem. The film industry, according to a study in 2007 by UCLA, found that the film industry was the second worst carbon emitting industry in L.A., only behind the oil industry. It was it was horrible. I mean, if anyone's ever been to a movie set, it's horrible. I mean, they got <laughs> giant trailers, full power, not to mention the environmental impact. You know, they were down here recently filming, filming at Greenfield Lake for this new show, Swamp Thing, which supposed to be pretty good. But, you know, what are they doing to Greenfield Lake? Is it disrupting the animals with light pollution and noise pollution and all these things? And not to mention that everyone that's on this series probably flew here from Los Angeles. And so here's the problem is that in one one week, you have Harper Peterson advocating that we have to do the most extreme things possible to the point of getting rid of air travel. And then the next week, he's advocating to get more film in Wilmington. And so I guess, Kevin, my question is, do you think that this high speed in, you know, continental rail system that's going to exist here in the United States is going to be able to handle film equipment. I don't see why it wouldn't, you know, I'm sure it's going to work perfectly no matter what it's carrying people, film equipment, a lack of, you know, uh, here's the deal. All right. I see where you're going with this, Tyler. And the problem that I have is that you're saying there's hypocrisy in the Democratic Party, I am. namely Harper Peterson. Mm-hmm. And I get that. I really do. I'm I color me shocked. But now my question is, are Republicans now going to be against incentives again since the film incentives are being promoted by Democrats this time? <laughs> well, that's that's a very good point. Because, because I, I tend to remember a lot of Republicans supporting well, film incentives the, in years prior. The bizarre thing about the, Harper Peterson being pro-film is that Michael Lee was a Republican before him in that seat. He, he's the one, you know, he beat Michael Lee to take the seat, is that Michael Lee was pro-film and had actually done a lot to get the current program at the level that it is. Well, the film 
program could actually be. I mean, because the thing is, is that the bill he put forward is a joke because it's him and two other Democrats. Republicans still control both chambers. I mean, they're, they're not even going to look at it. I mean, it's a joke. You have to get Republicans on board. I mean, everyone knows that. So this is just pure political posturing. But the reality is, is that the film industry could actually be hurt because they lost one of their biggest advocates, which is a Republican. And so now they got a Democrat in the leadership who might say, you know what? We don't really care about Southeastern North Carolina that much anymore. And without Michael Lee there, the film industry could actually be in a worse place. And yet no one seemed to understand that. I guess it's once again, going back to people being dumb, not realizing that it's good to have a representative of the party that's currently in a leadership. So what you're actually saying is that in order to get Democrat policies through, they need to start electing Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, unfortunately, Sorry, I, to, I am saying I had to that. go there. Well, but um, it also it should you know be noted that, yeah, I mean, listen, this happens everywhere. I'm, I hate incentives. I absolutely do. Uh, I do think it's cool they film things here. Um, but my whole point is, is that you can't be, you know, so crazy environmentalist to the point where you're, you know, advocating for air travel to disappear. And then at the same time, push for one of the biggest polluting industries to come to Wilmington because you want to create, you know, a couple thousand jobs. It's just, that is what really upsets me more than anything else because it's like, oh, but jobs. Oh, and the corporate welfare, both things that Hart Peterson's supposed to be against. And yet uh, it's different because it's film for whatever reason. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, Tower, you and I have been doing this for a decade now, which is, is insane. I know. And uh, <laughs> we're clearly climbing, climbing the ladder right now, but we have been saying this since the beginning, as soon as, I mean, I, I remember one of the first policies we were having to, to fight against was, um, what, did, what do they call the carbon tax? Is it a, the cap and tax? Remember cap they had trade. the cap and, ta- cap and trade. Cap and trade. Yes. Cap and trade was one of the first policies that we were trying to deal with. And even then we were talking, we were trying to get people to understand how much of a smoke show it really is. And when you look at things like you said, the film industry, which liberals love, causes so much pollution. Technology causes a ton of pollution. When you start looking at places like Apple and Google, their carbon footprint through the energy it takes to run the servers, the um, the way they're having to strip mine uh, countries, uh, third world countries to get the um, get the materials to make their products. Uh, what you do once the you know if someone gets a new iPhone every two years, what's happening? to that wasted material that, I mean, there's so much that piles up, yet you don't ever hear environmentalists going after Apple or the film industry. So that's what makes it difficult for me is no one will have an honest conversation about what is actually causing the problem. If you're that concerned about straws in the ocean, maybe you should be looking at never going to see a movie again. Maybe that (laughs) should be your first step. But, you know, Brad Pitt, I don't know. Well, it's also funny too, because when you look at, you know, the, the, the film industry, I mean, they're basically, it's, you know, they're, it's, it's entertainment. There's no, you're not actually creating like life-saving products for people. I mean, sure. I listen, I love movies. I love TV shows. I love everything, but it, it's even worse because you're not even creating, you know, if you're creating something of value, like, a, you know, medicine or, uh, you know, things that people need in order to live and survive, you know, you're creating energy, like that's great. But all they're doing is creating like a movie. And so it seems even more ridiculous that like, you know, that, you know, at least the oil refineries in LA, I mean, they're producing something that's helping everybody, you know, survive. If we oil disappeared, 
our lives would be significantly different. If movies disappeared, yeah, they might be a little different, but we'd still all be doing the same things that we're doing. Um, and and so it's so funny, like how frivolous entertainment is, and yet th- th- the one thing that we should be able to say, okay, we can definitely cut that out. They have the least problem with. And also, I should point out, you know, you mentioned the not caring about that about uh, you know what the waste that's created by certain products. For a long time, the Prius over the life of the vehicle was a bigger uh, uh, carbon emitter than a pickup truck because pickup trucks would last for like fifty years, and Priuses would die in ten, and you had to get a new battery, and the battery was so ridiculous waste wise. So I don't, I think they might have solved that problem. But the beginning, the, the the Prius was actually worse for the environment than a pickup truck. Yeah, no, I, and and you're I, no, that's that's absolutely true. And also, I think it's it, we need to point out that Hollywood really needs to just stop wasting all of this, all of these carbon emissions on making remakes. Yeah. That's all they're doing now. I think Disney's redoing five movies they've already made before. What they're well, destroying the, they're destroying the environment in the name of a lack of creativity. Well, what's funny is that Hollywood is making a lot of live action movies. So they're going from pen and paper, which I mean, sure, the paper, you know, rainforest, all that stuff. But a pen and paper and drawing something is going to be far less um, uh, far less of a carbon emitter than filming a scene for Aladdin than just drawing it on paper. And so they're actually remaking movies at a much worse level of pollution than the originals. So the remakes are actually worse. Yeah, they're absolutely worse. And while we're on the subject of products that make people's life better versus products that don't, there is a new poll out here in North Carolina that shows that a majority, although a very small majority, believes that the state should actually get out of the alcohol control business. Legislation this session could aim at privatizing the ABC stores we have here in the state and finally getting rid of the archaic system that we have. I mean, Without state-run ABC stores, who will hire their crony friends to make huge salaries <laughs> and walk away with large golden parachutes? In all seriousness, though, I believe it is definitely time to follow the lead of states who have already had really successful privatized liquor programs. Tyler, is freedom really just as simple as ABC? <laughs> uh, I, I got to tell you, I was very disappointed when that poll came out because that should have been... 60, 65% of people supporting this, 52%. And then I was even more disappointed when the overwhelming majority of those against, uh, at least opening on Sunday. Sunday was actually 52% of people were against opening liquor stores on Sunday. And the majority of them are Republicans. And there's this big, there was one senator who said, you know, it's it's the Lord's day. And I'm like, listen, all right, I get that argument, but everything else is open. I can go to a bar. I can go to a restaurant. I can go wherever and drink on Sunday. And so what exactly is, is the liquor store being open really that big of a problem? I mean, if, if you want to argue the Lord's day and we should keep holding the Sabbath and we shouldn't be doing anything, then shut everything down like Chick-fil-A, but like the, like a liquor store, like everything else is open. Everything else where I can buy liquor and drink it by the glass, but I can't buy a bottle on the Lord's day. Like I just, I don't like that argument because it's it's not like you know if the, if that same person was arguing lock everything else down then I'd say okay at least you're being consistent but I don't get what a liquor store is doing that's such a problem that you know God's going to have a problem with it when everything else is open I mean the drunks are finding a way the liquor store isn't uh, keeping it closed isn't preventing them from going to church I don't think um, so th- I, I'm not a huge fan of that argument but the one thing that really 
kind of shocked me by that poll as well was they actually interviewed people that that shop at abc stores and the people that don't now the people that don't why they didn't just get hung up on I'm not entirely sure why they <laughs> does, continue. Does, does this poll apply to you? Yeah, I mean, it's like, do you go to ABC stores? No. All right. Well, thank you. Like, so do you think that they should be privatized? And, and, and overwhelming people that do not go to ABC stores said it shouldn't be privatized. And the people that go overwhelmingly, I think that was 60% said that it should be privatized. So if that doesn't tell you uh, it should be the people that are actually dealing with it, then uh, I don't know what does, but yeah, I don't know why why we're listening to people that don't even go to the ABC store. You know, they, they get no say, okay? It's like, you're not even a shareholder in this business. Why are they getting a vote? No vote. Privatize. Let's do it. Do you shop at Walmart? Yes or no? No. Okay. Should they widen their aisles? This is this is important stuff that people really need to know. And I I think you're right, Tower. 52% was was pretty low. I think what it what they should have said is 52% said yes, it should be privatized, and 48% of people didn't understand the question. <laughs> well, because I, there's I think no that number is higher yeah. than it has been. So I think there's clearly a movement. I mean, I think it's gonna take a while. But I think it is a good sign that at least we're at least that we have a small majority as of now. Yeah, well, you know, I was working at the the legislature when the the brunch bill came through two years yeah. ago, and you would have thought it was a, a plan to put a strip club on every corner. <laughs> I mean, people were going crazy, and we're like, hey, it just it just means that people could drink a mimosa at eleven o'clock at a restaurant on a Sunday, you know, like every other state in the southeast. And I think that's what's really funny is that. North Carolina is very progressive in a lot of ways, especially now that it's a purple state. I mean, a lot of the social issues and things are really changing. But when you talk about these really fundamental traditional issues like hemp, um, medical marijuana, privatization of alcohol, I mean, we still have dry towns. And I mean, it's it's a hard line in the sand. And I think that's I think that's just really interesting to study the state of North Carolina from that viewpoint. Yeah, it is kind of amazing. Well, and that's my whole point. I mean, if you're a blue, you know, if you're a place, a county, a city, wherever that's still, you know, the blue laws are still in effect or you're dry, I should say, then, yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually all for when we do privatization to say it's up to the county what they want to do. I mean, so if I think if a county wants to have the ABC stores closed, then absolutely. I mean, I, I'm all for local government. Absolutely. But they, I think they should have the option. And this idea that the state should be, you know, dictating what what can and cannot happen, I, I'm not a fan of. But like I said, I mean, if if this is the 1950s, then maybe there's another argument because we did live in a time where things didn't used to be open on Sunday, and people did keep, you know, the the Sabbath holy. And okay, I mean, but we're not there anymore. And so this idea that we're just, you know, keeping liquor stores you know, closed is some sort of, you know, nod to the gods or nod to the God, I should say. That was a, a tin cup line. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't buy it. I mean, it's, it, I mean, if you're going to tell me that we're going to be smited for the, the, the liquor store being open, but he's okay with like the people getting drunk in bars. I, I just, I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just, I don't get it why the liquor store needs to be closed, but I can buy liquor everywhere else by the glass. I just, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, I, I don't think it makes any sense at all. And hopefully we are moving in the right direction on it. I mean, I think I think that we are slowly doing that. I mean, I, I just think it's funny. I was I was thinking just now about how in Louisiana they have drive through liquor stores. <laughs> and so the, the deep so south, like deeper south places that are way more religious are totally. Uh, 
I've never been a religious person doesn't drink, to be honest with you. I just solved it, Tyler. I think what this is is actually transcends politics. This is a um, a collegiate sports problem. SEC states are much more lax <laughs> on drinking <laughs> than ACC states. This just hit me. We've solved it. We need a school in North Carolina to join the SEC, and uh, <laughs> and things will change. Well, for for the better. Well, I hope so because, like I said, I think some of the arguments are just are 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 silly. Absolutely. Republicans get with it. All right. You're embarrassing me in this blaze poll. Yeah. Well, speaking of embarrassment, you've embarrassed me. And so now we have to end this show, Tyler. Ah, I apologize. Once again, prematurely apologizing. Or no, this would be this wouldn't be premature. This would be mature. <laughs> you are you are maturely apologizing. Post mature, post mature apology, post 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 maturation. So, is there post anything Malone. else that? What was that? Post Malone. Post Malone. No, no, we're gonna have to end on that tower. I was gonna give you an opportunity to add to this conversation, to bring up anything that we've missed over the last half hour, and you brought up Post Malone. Yeah, I did. Hey. Homeless guys got to work too. That is absolutely right. Well, I say we just, uh, we go ahead and post Malone this until next week and do it all over again. (laughs) All right, dude. I'll see ya. See ya. See ya.